Hello, welcome to Studio Talks. My name is James Swift. I'm Josh Matt Norton, and our guest today is my name is Vinny Vinny Peculiar. Hey, Vinny, you okay? Yeah, all good, thank you. I'm I'm all right. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. So, when did you first start to write music? And uh, what initially made you want to pursue it? Well, I've, obviously, I've been around a bit longer than you lads. Um, so, probably in the 1970s at school, uh, I got into prog rock and folk rock. And music was a massive thing back in mm. in that uh, in the day. I mean, it's still a massive thing now, but it's it was massive in a different way. It's much more tribal. Mm. Uh, you either went with the um, you know the Motown soul, Northern soul. People or, or I, my, I got into rock music and, and folk music and guitars. I love guitars, so that's kind of how I got into music. But I didn't get into seriously writing songs probably till I was in my mid to late twenties, and even then it took a while to to uh, to find a voice. I think is the, that's what they that's what they say. You know. It took a while, so uh, I wasn't like a teenage prodigy or anything like that. <laughs> Do you, I mean, has music always had the thing thing with you? Do you think? Like, do you think you've always had a yeah? Well, my, to music? yeah, my connection as I grew up. You know, I grew up in a family of uh, of um, uh, sort of radical Methodists. Really, my granddad was a preacher, and my dad was an organist. So I was at church every every week of my life till I was about fifteen or sixteen. Uh, when my dad said, "You don't have to go anymore," I said, "Oh, great, I won't then." That that that, but but you can't help um, not be influenced by church music because I was uh, subjected to a lot of hymns, and we used to put on a lot of shows up there as well. And uh, so I suppose the church and hymns was a big. Uh, re- I mean, I'm going back. Obviously, that was a really early influence, and then moving on to uh, discovering pop music and Top of the Pops was always my ambition. I mean. I've lost a lot of ambition since it's not been on, to be honest. No, yeah. no, I'm listen. But, um, you know, I, that was always what, to me and my music-loving uh, young mates, that was the mm. big ambition. And, and, you know, seeing people like David Bowie and T-Rex and um, Free and Alice Cooper all on Top of the Pops was, was great. And because Top of the Pops was great in the sense that it was, it was a, it was a, it, there were some brilliant people on there and there were some, rubbish people on there so it was great phone all the rubbish and wait for your band to come on you know it's very different now obviously we're much more interactive and selective and picking god knows what yeah definitely definitely but, i mean it was a very different time then in, in the uh in the 1970s you know so, uh, the world we live in now it's harder to um to get a good range like that with with top of the pops where nowadays it's as you say it's more selective words i'm gonna listen to the music i like today that yeah, one, of the, one of the things about listening to music today is like on things like Spotify, you can uh, bring all kinds of genres together, can't you? So mm. That's sometimes mm. interesting, you know, and uh, the kids' record collections are the kind of the same as the parents now. You can, you can borrow from, it, from any era, but when I was growing up, it was just what was coming out was new and exciting and charting. And, you know, we don't have the same relationship with the charts we used to have when I was a kid. No, definitely not. I think it's any worse or any better now. These things evolve. You know. It's one of those, isn't it? It has its pluses and its negatives. So, so um, how do you personally write your songs? Well, sometimes I have uh, a title and I don't do anything with the title. So I can overhear someone say something or something comes on the TV or, you know, just, just pick up fragments of, of uh, 
of information and uh, have a title. And then I will uh, sometimes use that title to jam along to some acoustic guitar or some piano. And uh, that becomes a phrase. And then I just build some chords around it. Mm. Or sometimes I write the whole sort of lyric idea, initial lyric idea. So I've got like, uh, say, three verses. And then I'll take that to the piano or the guitar and try and work up um, exactly what's what's working and what's not. So then I'll end up rewriting the lyrics and hopefully have a basic chord structure. And mm. it's, it sounds so boring, it, it? No, 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 it doesn't sound... It's incredibly interesting, but the other thing is it's like... As it, so, because when we ask this, a lot of people like are either side of what you've just said. They say one or the other. So it's like, has that evolved from one to the other? Is it still like a mixed bag? It's 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 still a bit mixed. Every now and again, you uh, every now and again, I've had a song when I, I've sort of the titles come and it's just kind of come out sort of almost automatically. But quite often, there's a lot of faffing around with uh, oh that doesn't fit there. Or, I think once I've got a basic chord structure and all my songs are very simple, so it's usually just three, four, five chords. Uh, hopefully. Um, you know, I get a, a melody and a structure, you know, like a chorus, change of chords and all. I don't know what oh. more, more, more I can say technically because I'm not the most technical person in the world. No, but so would you say that you're, you're, you're like a writer first as opposed to a song, like as someone who is more technical with the actual songwriting? Well, I suppose, I mean, songwriters come in lots of different guises, don't they? I mean, mm. I, I like, uh, you know, automatic, I, I have a, I've had a number of bands, so I suppose by default I'm a band arranger as well. So I kind of work out who needs to play what with with people in bands and build up songs and ideas beyond just the melody and the chords. Because the song, mm. basic structure of the song, it's just part of it. Because then you've got to have an arrangement, which is a whole different ball game. So you know what kind of what kind of beat is going to work and mm. the bass part going to go and all that kind of thing. So. Uh, yeah, it always broadens out because most of my stuff, even if it starts on a piano or acoustic guitar, ends up with drums, bass, and, you know, sometimes um, in the past when uh, someone's paid for it, strings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real strings are hard, but now you can, you can do a lot more with... Uh, MIDI and stuff like that. With MIDI strings, and there's mm. some very good sounding. I've got... I'm, I did a... Uh, uh, like a, a, a string-based track recently, and it was it was pretty good. I worked with this guy, and he saw some great sounds, and uh, his cellos sound really good. They're on the next album, which comes out in March. So you you briefly mentioned about being in about uh, being in bands earlier. Uh, what was the origin of Parlor Flames? Oh, uh, oh, the Parlor Flames band. Uh, that mm. was that was me and Bonehead's band, yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, well, obviously he was the guitarist in Oasis, you know that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah people know that. So uh, I got to know uh, Bone through Mike Joyce, who was the drummer in The Smiths. And he, oh. was, he was a drummer in my band for a bit. Oh, that's pretty uh, Yeah. Uh, and Andy Rourke and Craig Gannon, we were all sort of, we used to rehearse at Salford Lads Club in Manchester for three or four years. So Mike knew Bonehead really well. And then got in touch with Bone um, because we just made an album and he sent him, Mike Joyce got in, sent Bone this album we'd made because Mike was on a record called The Fall and Rise of Junior Peculiar. It's a long time ago, 2006 or seven or whenever it was. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Bone really liked the album, so I got to know him. And then, to cut a long story short, he managed the band briefly, then he joined uh, my band for a little t- tour and a, some dates in Europe, which, which were a lot of fun, but uh, we weren't really built to last at that point. So at the end of that time, when he played bass, uh, we said, oh, well, we should work together one day. And it took three years after that to 2012. Mm. And it was a great experience. You know, Bone um, is a great musician and uh, he had uh, all his gear set up in the basement of his house, which was, uh, which was great. So we didn't have to rush that Parlour Flames album. Mm. And it was done probably over a nine-month period, which is really rare for me because I'm yeah, under the cosh for costs in the studio and wondering how I'm ever going to get this back. I was going to say, it takes me about nine, mo- it takes me about my nine months to realise I want to write an album. Yeah. Oh, does it? Oh, great. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not... Uh, where, where did the name come from? If I can ask. Uh, Parlour Flames. Mm. Or, oh, Vinnie Peculiar or Parlour Flames. Oh, actually, yeah, both. But I meant Parlour Flames. But, yeah. uh, you know, well, well Parlour Flames, I think uh, I'm responsible for. Just, uh, you know what? I can't think of why now. But I know I thought it's something to do with um, watching um, some... TV show on the the part the Victorian parlour being the centre of of home and creativity and there's mm. all these things going on and uh, and flames just sort of came after that. Mm. Uh, the problem with naming bands is finding you can come up with all these great names and then you realise there's like there's Sorry, a band in Detroit that have been going for ages and you can't because the internet just it's, it's, it's hard. So uh, that was reasonably, um, uh, that was the best of the bunch we had, I think. It sort of, it sits all right. It doesn't kind of, it doesn't glare out at you as... as, uh, The the first time, so the reason I asked was um, the first time I read it. So my brain makes connections and like when I see something... I read something completely different and then there's nothing I can do to stop it from saying that. So like the first time I ever read I have Pile of Flames on like a poster or something, I thought it was Paloma Pilots. And like just now when I was asking you the question, like what was the origin? I had that like it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to not say what's the origin of Paloma Pirates. <laughs> um, you do that sometimes, don't you? You just yeah. read them wrong and once you've read them wrong once, they I get that completely. Yeah. I mean, there is a theory, if you, you know, I've got an English teaching friend who tells me about these kind of spelling theories, that mm. it's about recognition. When you look at a word, you only ever see two or three letters and you kind of guess the rest. Yeah. Why you can see some words, you know, and, and have three letters and you know the word, even though, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's to do mm. with the brain. Definitely. So where did you get the name Finny Peculiar? Oh, uh, just from... Um, well, uh, there's a great Simon and Garfunkel song I liked when I was a kid called The Most Peculiar Man, which is quite a kind of, it's a folk ballad, but it's very dark. Mm. Um, it's about a young man, a guy's isolation and suicide and all those kind of heavy things. But right. um, yeah, so Most Peculiar Man and people, some of the songs that I was writing in probably the 90s or whatever, late 90s, people were saying, oh, they were, they were funny, funny, peculiar. So... Right, okay. Funny, funny became Vinny and the peculiar, most peculiar man thing. Yeah. So it, it just seemed like a name I could use as a band 
and as uh, a solo artist. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't plan to be called Vinny. That was Mike Joyce's fault. And the, when, I, when the Smiths lads joined the band, they said, oh, yeah, we're not calling you Alan Wilkes. God. <laughs> you can forget that. You're the singer. You've got to be eccentric. Uh, we're not calling you that. So that's it kind of stupid. I mean, what's wrong with Don't Don't <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. So you just mentioned then about the solo and being a band. What's the difference between both like, doing solo and being part of a band? It is a kind of very different gig. Because uh, being in a band is more like being in a gang. Even if you're playing to not the size of crowd that you imagined, and uh, you can still kind of like enjoy the rehearsal. And because every now and again, I mean, you do gigs with loads of people there, and they're great. And then all of a sudden, this happened quite a lot with Parlour Flames. You know, we'd uh, do a Manchester sellout gig at the Deaf Institute. And then we went to Newcastle the next day and played 16 people. Oh. So, so, um, but when, when it's a band, it's not so bad. But when you're on mm. your own sometimes, and that happens, it's, the highs and lows seem more intense. Mm. That's, that's how... Because uh, it's I, more, the percentage is more on you, isn't it? Like, it's more... Yeah. If you're in a, if you're in a duo act, 50% of it is on you. Yeah. If you're in a band, 25%. But I, I see what you mean by that kind of support each other's sort of anguish, not anguish, you support each other's, you know, if, if one band member's having a moan, someone else will say, well, look, it's not that bad. You know, we can rehearse. We need to practice this one anyway, just because there's only like 20 people here. You know, we've sold 50 tickets tomorrow night, 100 tickets, whatever. So, uh, you know, but when you're on your own, it, I think the, the highs and lows are sometimes a bit more intense. I did a lot of gigs as a duo with a great, keyboard player called Rob Steadman, uh, who I've um, played in Witness with uh, on a few occasions. And uh, that was always good because um, we're both football fans, so we just talked about football a lot. You just have to find that connection, don't you? You need to find something outside of music that you both yeah. enjoy, if that makes sense. You go. Football and pies. That was really wrong. You can find a pie shop in any town. <laughs> he, he, can find, he can find a pie a pie minister in any mm. any city, even ones that don't have them, he seems to find them. And at every festival that we did with right. Parliament, we did a ton of festivals with them. He, he was always in charge of food. So, you know, you, it's being in a gang, it's it's like, uh, you know, going out with your workmates wherever you work sometimes. Mm. It, it, it can be fun, but it's it's called work. But, you know, there has to be some element which, is, which isn't just... Mm grind it's it's you know yeah exactly and um, do you find as a solo artist you have more like uh, do you enjoy the more creative control as opposed to being in a band um well yeah i suppose so uh i, I mean th there's pluses to both because for me uh, the way I, the way i work with the songs is i'll demo them all at home so i'll do mm. a basic drum and bass arrangement here but then i send them off to the band and then if we're going to the way I've done the last few albums is uh, then I'll go into the studio with the bass player and the drummer and we'll just uh, record the bass and, and, and drums. And that, that's always a very different thing. And then we maybe mess around with the arrangement or whatever. Um, so, uh, I yeah, especially, I know what you mean. I, I don't, obviously, I don't have this. I like it when, when people contribute their own particular mm. 
So with this band I've got at the moment here, here in Worcester, the, um, uh, you know, I, I do the songs at home and all the, the demoing, but um, when we go to rehearsal, if someone comes up with a fantastic fill or uh, changes the bass part, it's all great because you need all that in bands, you know. So exactly, yeah. If you, you know, you can't really, unless you're Prince or James Brown, you know, you can't really dictate, you know, mm. I know some people when they get more successful are a bit more dictatorial, but uh, that's never been. It's not really my style anyway. I like I like the collaboration of music. It's, mm. it's good. It's exciting to hear what the musicians make of your ideas and kind of share them. Moving back onto your solo, so uh, your solo stuff. Yeah. Was it difficult to write a concept album uh, with silver medals? Oh yeah, the silver medals album. Um, uh, difficult. Well, what happened with that was, because um, I, I, you see, I had, um, uh, although I've been quite involved in music, I always hung on to a job. I had a part-time job right up until 2011 or something in the NHS. So, uh, and I've, I was full-time up until about 2005, but I was doing music, but I, I hung on in the NHS. And as soon as I got the opportunity to leave, I left. And uh, the last thing in the world I thought I'd do is end up writing about when I was there. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, great, I'm leaving. Uh, here comes the rock and roll dream. You know, world domination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that didn't work out. But do you know what I mean? So I, no, uh, I know exactly what I mean. It's a surprise. But I started, uh, uh, I wrote a couple of things and I thought, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, lots of ideas came, mostly based on the times when I worked in... Uh, Long stay hospitals, you know, uh, mm. in the uh, 80s and 90s, you see. You know, the, the, the first time, I think it was the first time I seen you play at the studio, you played a song where it's about um, a young couple who were, who, who were together during um, when you worked there. Um, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the story of that, but also the song itself. Was it, were you sure it was from Silver Meadows? And you said it was to do with you said it was to right. do with the institute. Um, Don't you? Yeah. Well, there is a song. There's a song about a psychologist and uh, and someone with profound disability called Waiting Games. That's called. Yeah. Right. It could have been that one, or it could have been. I just remember you telling the story, and I was thinking that's a really lovely. Um, there was this one about a savior of challenging behaviour. I might have done that one. I don't think the only couple one that I can think of is 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 Jesus stole my girlfriend, which is a very old one. All right, okay. Which is about uh, a couple who split up because the man upstairs gets involved. So it wasn't that. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, it was probably waiting games. Mm. The, the couple in question is he's very profoundly disabled and he's in love with. Uh, um, uh, with his therapist, right? Okay. He can't, he can't tell her because of his disability. That, that, that's one of the, that's one of the songs. There, love, is, there is another one which is called Institution. Sorry, I'm just I trying. Re- no, no, I remember the Institution. I've heard that one. It might have been that one because I know that it was. That was how you into? Yeah, it might have been that one. But, but um, yeah, I think I think I it was in Institution. There is a, there's a there's a there's a couple uh, there's a couple of couple scenarios. There's a psychologist that takes 
Um, right, okay. Some LSD and it's not very well. So, right, okay. There's, the institution, there's lots of little sort of stories going on, I think. Do you, um, do you, do you call it a concept album or is it just, is, do you? Well, it's sort of, I called it a concept album because they're all the same threads, really. They're all, yeah, yeah. they're either, they're all stories about people who live in institutions, people who work there, people who've left mm. there, you know, bad things that have happened there and okay things that have happened there. So it's, it's like a, it's like a social reflection of, some of the feelings I had about being in those places as a, as a nurse, you see, because mm. some of it, you know, uh, they're, they're not necessarily all the places I worked at, but certainly, you know, it, it was, it's a recipe for, um, for cruelty and uh, neglect and some not very positive experiences for people who live there, you know, they, they probably don't even have their own room, they're in huge dormitories and, you know, uh, not always properly medicated or, or you know, have really opportunities, separate. You know, these institutions are usually red brick and Victorian and out in the middle of nowhere where stuff can happen to people. People become very vulnerable, you know. Yeah, uh -huh. So I tried to reflect a bit of that as well. Cool, brilliant. So just changing topic now, would you like to play us a song? Oh, sure, yeah. I just happened to have my guitar on the floor. <laughs> I hope it's still in tune. I just, not before, long before you came on, the cat came in and uh, was so desperate to get fed, it jumped up and knocked the guitar. And, um, I suppose I better introduce it then. Okay, so uh, recently uh, I just um, put out uh, a collection of 20 songs, like uh, alternative versions and outtakes of songs that... Uh, that I um, that didn't really see the light of day at the time. Uh, and some of them are, are, are songs that uh, are just alternative versions. But this is a song um, I wrote when I was going through a bit of a, a John Lennon phase about... This, one, this was recorded on, in about 2009, I think. So I've not played it really since then. I've only really rediscovered it to put out as this kind of old stuff. So. Uh, so this will be this will be fun because I've never really done it um, live at all, and I, I, it didn't make the record because I think we run out of time. Like I alluded to earlier, sometimes you uh, you just uh, you can't afford to stay in the studio, and if you've only got half finished songs, anyway, it's it's kind of like it sounds like a half finished demo that's on this album, Peculiarities. But uh, anyway, this is uh, this has got um, John Lennon connotations, I guess. <clears throat> And it's called Imagine. There you go. Could be more Lennon-esque. Right, here we go. Imagine Writing a song called Imagine Can't imagine Doing something like that Sitting at the piano In the white suit Japanese girlfriend, the sign of his care. He said it came together in the twinkling of an eye. The momentum of the melody was enough to make them cry. 
We always do claps at the end of someone playing, but they always sound like the most pathetic thing ever. It's like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, you know, um, it was just nice to play that because uh, it was really lovely. That I haven't really, I ran through it earlier, and I haven't run because it's from like 2009. It was, uh, it's a funny song that it's like the idea that of all the protest songs to change the world, that should have changed the world by now, and of course it hasn't. Because actually, songs don't change the world. So. Mm. That's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. That's really interesting what is the song about? Uh, yeah, well, it's about um, it's a song about imagining yourself to be John Lennon in a way to to write mm. a song that was so powerful and so iconic. And looking back on that song and seeing that it's probably not made quite the difference that you imagined it would. I mean, it's still a great song, and I. I some songs are just like timeless and that's one of them. But, um, you know, John Lennon was, I, I think, a genuinely sincere pacifist looking to change the world. And it's just, you know, people are going to keep on writing songs to try and reflect that and do that. But, uh, you know, it, hmm. 
in the end of this song of mine, it just seems like a stupid idea trying to write a protest song, simply because the greatest protest song ever didn't really change the world. <laughs> or did it? I mean, I don't know. It's just an interesting idea, you know, the whole idea of, uh, you know, whether, whether, you know, art reflects or, or initiates change or, or just reflects what's going on anyway. And it was all the balance between the two, I think. Just how casual your language is. Because I, I always remember doing a gig with Rob, the keyboard player I told you about. Mm. And it, uh, we did this great little gig in a, in a music shop in Altrincham in the afternoon. And there was loads of kids' families there. Kids and, you know, families and all that. And I, I'd go to start a song and Rob would say, hey, you can't do that one. Oh, yeah, okay. And, and then I'd say, oh, yeah, maybe not. And then I'd go to another one he said, no, not that one either. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I, I didn't realise it. Because it, in songwriting... You have the odd profanity or... Yeah, in songwriting, I think it's to build effect, isn't it? Swearing, I mean, it's... Yeah. it's. I mean, in, in language in general, we use it to add a little bit more power to a sentence that otherwise yeah. might not have sounded as... Uh, that's really? Going off at a slight tangent. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's completely accepted. What, like, what you just mentioned about John Lennon, it kind of made me ask a completely separate question. What would you say that your um, musical influences are, both as an artist and as a person, if that makes sense? Well, I think when you've been around a long time, and, you know, I'm, like, uh, in my early 60s now, so I'm cracking on. So... Um, You've heard a lot of you've heard a lot of music, but I suppose the early stuff was David David Bowie and Paul Simon. They sound like opposite ends of the spectrum, but I kind of grew up on Paul Simon and then got into. Well, I told you about the, the hymns, probably hymns. Paul Simon, David Bowie, Mark Boland, glam rock, uh, Buzzcocks, Elvis Costello. I'm just moving through the you know Bunny Mentier drops. So, yeah. You know. I, Moving, moving through the eras, then, then there's, a, there's a lot of music. Um, mm. My absolute favourite enduring artists are probably the Beatles are important. I didn't really get them when I was younger um, because I also got into heavy metal um, when I was like a teenager. And I think when you're young, you, go, you kind of think, well, that's my, that's my music. I hate that. I love yes. that. Yes. It's much more polarised, isn't it? You know, and... Um, yeah. It's like you're a metalhead. You're not. You're just not even going to entertain anything else. No. Or you're a, yeah. you're a, if you like scar and reggae, that, you know, people tend to get tribal when they're younger. But when you get, you know, as your life moves on, you know, you can you can like all this great. There's lots of different genres of music which are, which are interesting, and um, I suppose if you're a musician, exploitable. You know, I've. Mm. Done records which have a slight country country twang, you know. I've used pedal steel guitar players and things like that. But that was a long time ago, so I went through a bit of a phase of that. This last album I did, while you still can, is is full, is very hard rock. You know, I moved back to the Midlands and I wanted to make a rock record because this is like the capital of rock. Mm. You know, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. What was that? All come from here, and and um, so I, I kind of wanted to to reflect that with a lot of noise. So, I'm going to get back to the questions in a second. I just thought of another question. <laughs> um, what was like the last band you listened to or artist that you listened to that went, uh, that you thought, that's quite good. I'm going to, 
I'm quite influenced to do something like that. Um, well, I listened to Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull the other mm. day, for the first time in a long mm. time. And uh, it's an amazing album. It was recorded almost live. It's like 40 minutes long, and it's like a 40-minute concept album. Um, mm. I thought that was pretty pretty good because I hadn't heard it. This is sometimes happens to me. I mean, I, I kind of... Think, uh, I duck and dive into sort of various newer bits of music and then every now and again I listen to something like uh, Argus by Wishbone Ash which was one of my favourite all-time albums and mm. the other afternoon I spent two hours recording the acoustic guitar part to the first track on Argus by Wishbone Ash just to see if I could remember it yeah so, um, so let's talk about peculiar peculiar I can't say that word peculiarities yeah peculiarities yeah, yeah. Um, where did, where did the inspiration come from to release a series of unreleased tracks? Uh, well, um, uh, Josh, it was. Uh, uh, I just thought I'd got them knocking around, and um, I've been working on this on two other albums. There's a live album coming out soon. Um, just finishing off now. It's only six songs I recorded with my Worcester band in the studio live here. Um, it's quite an ordeal because we all have to keep out of each other's way. You know, it's the whole kind of lockdown recording thing. But we we, we got it done, and the, the producer, producer called Dave Draper is uh, working with him to to finish it off. And um, so there's a live album, and there's like a studio album that I've almost done. Uh, I've probably I've mixed, and I've got like seven out of the twelve tracks already and the others are like I'm working with different people on them so going back to this current one I just saw this all sort of um, uh, just keep things ticking along really until the other stuff come out but then I, at the time I put this when I put this out I didn't realize we were gonna have the opportunity to do a live album so mm. basically I'm gonna have three albums out in in six months but that, that's okay um, I've got. I've just got to with this peculiarities. I, it came out so quickly uh, that I, I still haven't sent it off to various radio and um, uh, press people. So if you know anyone who wants it, or if you want it, just I'll send it. You're more than welcome. It's um, it's twenty tracks of nostalgia for me. So uh, and there's a couple of Parlour Flame ones there. You know, not uh, the, the alternative versions. Mm. The other thing that happens in, in that world is, uh, you know, when you, you're making records, you spend so much time fine-tuning it, and then you put it out, it's all pristine, and people have, you know, put a lot of input in it. But then you look back at the mixes you did before you finished it off, and although they're a bit more rough and ready, sometimes they sound more emotionally engaged. Do you know what I mean? It's no, 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 no. They're not as pristine uh, as... as um, as the finished product, but they sometimes are better for that. So, in this peculiarities release, there's some of the tracks that uh, that um, you know there's some home demos and things that don't have all the kind of sonic veneer. Mm. It kind of everyone likes when when you have a finished album, but uh, it's, it's it, sometimes it's better without it. You know, mm. I, I have a I have a thing where um, I'll write a song and I'll go, "This doesn't fit with what I'm currently." 
um, making. Like, if I'm making, like, an album or something, oh, God, this doesn't quite fit with this album. I'll use it for later. And up until I do use that song, I, there's, like, a little bit of me that's guilt, and I'm go, it's a good song. I want to put it on something. I want to put it somewhere. Yeah. Do you have... Do you have is there any songs on Picard or Alice that's like that? Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, that, that's Imagine didn't really fit on the album. That, that, mm. uh, well, it wasn't quite finished either, but that, that, that's a, I totally relate to that, uh, mm. James. That you, you know, you, all of a sudden you you're working in one direction, and something comes to you, and it's like, well, that doesn't really isn't really part of that. But I mean, the trick is just to hang on to it because yeah, definitely. And, and isn't it because you're a songwriter? Um, yeah. it's interesting. What's changed a lot of songwriting, I know it's changed it for me, is any time I have an idea, you know, now we've got phones. Mm. It's so different now. You know, yeah. years ago, you had an idea, you thought, oh, God, run upstairs, switch my gear on, sit down. Hope it doesn't go away. Plug in. Well, oh, 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 what is it? Sometimes you, you didn't have time to do that. But, I mean, if you're walking to the bus stop and you, have, you think, oh, that's a good idea, you just, you can record it. Mm. Yeah. Into right. your phone now. and it's so much better now it's so much more immediate you have much more ideas i mean if i'm ever making albums i just i scroll back through my phone and you know okay it's not all brilliant but you know i record onto my phone at least every other day i'll be putting down a few ideas and then it just all builds up and you know you've got a musical reference then if you, if you haven't I think, got the reference. i think and a piece of advice I always give people who always who wants to learn to write songs, well, not learn, who wants to start writing songs, is I always say, don't be afraid to, in the middle of public, get your phone out and sing into it, because yeah. that's if you don't do that, then you will not write. Yeah, there is there is that thing about uh, uh, when the ideas come, you should try and strike while the iron's hot. You know, the yeah. expression. Because if you don't. The idea will just go and land on someone on the neighbor or somewhere else. Someone else will get it. I remember one. I remember one time when um, I, I didn't have a phone at the time, and I had a song lyric in my head, and I was like, "I need to write the song." I ran to the nearest Argos and got a pencil, pencil, and wrote the lyrics down on a little yeah, bit of paper. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well done. Well done. I mean, it takes mm. them doing that. I mean, even waking up in the middle of the night, you know. Mm. I mean, I've done that. I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking, you know, particularly if you're in that zone where, um, with me, uh, years ago, my girl, she used to go go away for a couple of weeks most years to see her friends in America, and I'd kind of duck out. But I'd stay at home and write for the whole two weeks. I'd take two weeks off work. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, once you're in that frame of mind, it's great. But if you wake up in the middle of the night and say to yourself, oh, yeah, I'll remember that mm. for tomorrow. Chances are you never will. No, no. You, know, so you need to write it down. You need to seize the day. That's a good advice. Really? Um, oh, it's oh, my question. Yes, So this one's kind of in two parts. Um, how did you get? How did you get involved with gigging in Witness? Gigging in Witness. Well, I, I'm trying to think. The first place I played in Witness, I think it was a place called the Ringo Bells. Which is it was. It was indeed. I think because I've just been. I was. I asked Greg. Yeah. And he said about the Ringer Bells, yeah. Yeah. Well, Greg is a terrific guy and a great songwriter and that. Mm. I got to know uh, Greg and Louise over the years. I got to know Greg firstly because I think Greg booked me for uh, the Ring Ringer Bells gig. And I, I, mm. it became a regular gig on my uh, 
Neophytes ever doing a little tours or um, whatever? Um, I think I've even, I think I've taken bands there. Mm. But, um, yeah. Um, so I, I, I first got involved probably via via Greg playing just smaller gigs, and then later on in played the studio. I think Parlor Flames played the studio as well. I remember you playing the studio as uh, Parlor Flames, and yeah. and obviously as Finney yeah. well, So, what is your frame of memory playing at the studio? At the studio, mm-hmm. um, the studio. Well, I think the Parlor Flames gig was good in the end. We had a few problems um, with sound, which um, uh, all, all came good in the end. I thought it was a really nice gig. Mm. Uh, the studio. What I love about the studio isn't is isn't so much a memory about my gig but all the other stuff that's going on there so i played there when they've had like a theater extract um uh different kinds of songwriters somebody reading some poems Mm. what i like about the studio is it's sort of very eclectic and there's a lots of different art type stuff that people can get involved with so um i've seen i've seen that um and Warren, of course, is a good friend of mine. Warren, what's Warren's surname? Warren the photographer. Miller. Miller. Warren yeah. Miller, yeah. yeah. So uh, the, another great thing about playing in Witness, and this is, this is I'm quoting Greg Oldfield here. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's worth, it's definitely worth you doing. And he says, if, and if the gig's rubbish, you'll get some great pictures. Because <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very... Yeah, and, uh, and um, Warren has indeed taken some great pictures of. Um, he's a, he is a fantastic photographer. Uh, Warren. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's got. A, I've also done like I did a a workshop for people looking at First World War stuff as well through the years. I've done a few different things there that aren't just uh, rock and roll things. They're no more like sort of workshops. So. Mm-hmm. What was it like? <laughs> you just mentioned you just you, you, you just mentioned workshops. So, um, what was it like doing to do a songwriting workshop? In witness, I, I do them anyway. As uh, I'm, you've done one, I know the last one you did was in the the Runcorn Library. Um, oh yeah, a couple of months yeah. ago. It was, well, was that was the easiest ones I've ever done in my life. Simply mm. because there's a very strong music community in witness, and pretty much everyone there knew what they were doing so yeah definitely i i sometimes you do workshops and, and people are um i'm a, a trustee of a mental health charity called tonic music for mental health so some of them i mean obviously i've done them for ages since covid but um the workshops i do with with them tend to be for uh, uh you, you know a, a whole variety of ability levels so sometimes i do them in uh I've been doing them in, in, in hospitals mm. where it's a little more challenging and people are much more nervous and don't have the concentration span and probably recovering from long-term mental health issues or, or whatever their issues are. It's, it's a very different kind of workshop. I think you have to kind of work people through at their own pace. But the pace of the witness workshop was, was really quick. It really um, was. Uh, and they were... Um, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's always a really strong music community in witness and i think it's really healthy and i think the studio is important because it's like a, a fulcrum of all the uh, activities that take place and, and it's a it's a hard gig to keep it going you know definitely yeah. i know that one that that you did the last one we did um 
that one was very much everyone just kind of already had ideas and they just kind of kicked off and and did it and on the um the first um one of the first episodes we did was with Reese and he played the song that he did when that they wrote together and, you know Reese and Keith when they they started writing a song together and uh, I think episode three or something like that. He, yeah. He's like, this is the song I wrote. Uh, Finny <laughs> Pukuri. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. Mm. What a nice. Thing. I mean, that that is one of the great things about workshops. If you can bring people together and they kind of, you know, there's a, there's a certain thing, isn't there? If you can just fuse with someone musically, it kind of gives you something to live for, kind of thing, and, and it can a really positive effect on your sense of mental well-being. You know. Mm. Definitely. Kind of what this charity is about that I'm part of. Um, where do you see your music going in the future? Uh, well, I just take it release by release and uh, hopefully I can keep doing gigs. It's been a really difficult time in terms of uh, with so many musician friends are up the creek, you know, with the COVID thing. Mm. In terms of getting ongoing financial support, a lot of that's dying off now, so... That's a real problem. I thought, I mean, I, I had a gig at, uh, in Thornton, Earth Village Club, which is a lovely gig, up, not far away from you guys in uh, on the Wirral. Uh, mm. And that was due last Friday, but that got cancelled because of the new restrictions. Yeah. Um, so I've no idea when it's all going to start again, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to do... Now I have a little band here... Um, I'm trying to think about doing band gigs as well as solo ones. Um, so where can people find you online? Uh, well, there's a website, vinnypeculiar.com. And there's a Bandcamp page, which has peculiarities. I've only done that through Bandcamp to start with. I might wow. press something up if it's worth it, but because mm. they're all older tracks. And then, you know, um, uh, we'll see how we go with that. But... Uh, it's the first digital-only release I've done for a long time. So I usually, the last album sort of um, uh, was on vinyl and and CD. So that was uh-huh. that was putting the boat out a little bit for me. So this one, um, the boat's coming in just a little bit too because there's no vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> it's I all based around what goes in and what comes out. You know, yeah, the, think- of the resources. Yeah, I think that's the smart option with with everything that's going on to kind of keep it digital, like with you know what I mean, sending it off and stuff. Um, thank you for doing this, Vinny. It's been absolutely boss. I really it's enjoyed this. Yeah. It's been great, both James, Josh. Fantastic. I'll see you soon. See you okay. soon. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye.